So hello and welcome to this edition of ITR Voices. Joining me is Gemma Lowe, Tax Automation Manager at Royal Mail, a British postal service and courier company. Hi Gemma, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks too. So today we're focusing on tax technology, digitization and automation, both for companies and for revenue authorities. And we're also going to talk about the impact that COVID-19 is having on tax team stress and mental health. So diving into tax technology first, my first question is, how has your team adopted digitization, Gemma? What tax technology do you use and why? And have you seen a significant increase in automation throughout your time working in tax? So we've adopted a targeted approach. Um, So what we've started off doing is identifying um, the areas within our group tax function that are the biggest difficulties or take up the most time and then prioritising them. So we looked at things like if it was legislation, so making tax digital as a legislation requirement to do something there uh, or where there was a lot of manual time involved. So your, your qualified tax people aren't adding value, for example, by manipulating data. Right. So rather than doing a wholesale approach, which I know what some other companies have taken, that was that was the best approach for us. So we have seen a significant increase in automation. So, for example, in, in one of the big projects that we're doing, we've taken in three new pieces of software to help deal with the difficulties there. In terms of the tax technology we're using, we've brought in a data cleansing and manipulation tool um, called Alteryx. So that lets us manipulate data and vast quantities of data very, very quickly. And it's much more flexible, for example, than Excel. And also the good thing with that is what you're doing isn't hidden. So in Excel, you need to go in and look at the formula and try and work out what's going on. Whilst with Alteryx, there's little icons that tell you what that step is and what it's doing. And you can click on it and see how it's configured. Right. Which is very helpful. Yeah. yeah. We've also um, brought in data analytics tools. So we call this sort of the intelligent bit. So this is using things like keywords to identify how expenditure should be treated for tax purposes. So you can upload vast quantities of data. You tell it what the rules are. Um, So, for example, it might be against a specific GL code and have this specific cost description. And based on that, it has to go to, say, a specific capital allowances pool. Where this also gets really helpful is that the software will tell you if it's confident or not in what it's done. So if it comes across something slightly new or is a slightly different word variation, it will still allocate it, but it will say I'm actually only about 80% confident I've put this in the right place, Uh, which lets obviously your tax professionals then apply their tax knowledge and add value by reviewing that and making sure it is going to the right place and telling the software yes or no so it remembers the next time that comes up what it should do. We've also taken in indirect tax compliance software. So our VAT returns were being done in Excel. We've now moved that into um, a software system where we just upload our transactions and it's configured to then allocate the spend into the relevant um, nine boxes. Um, so yeah, there has been quite a bit of a increase in the automation that we've seen in that space. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like some big developments have happened. 
And what about in um, audit trails? How has tax technology helped you um, in the way that you work with other parts of the business? Has it helped to improve things? So in some ways, it has helped to improve things. So, for example, bringing in a more flexible data manipulation tool means you don't need to be as rigid as you are in Excel in the files that you receive. So one of the um, big things that quite often happens is you build an Excel model. The columns need to be fixed. You can deal with changes in rows, but your columns need to stay in exactly the same order as a general rule. And any change to any data that you might receive results in you having to rework your Excel workbook to fit with the new the new format or going back and saying to them, you need to put this back into the format we were getting before. With some of the data with the data manipulation tools, it's a lot more flexible because with like Altrix, it'll see that's your column name. It doesn't matter where it's appeared because it recognizes that's the column name that you need, for example. So that means things are less rigid in that regard. So if people are changing your inputs and not pre-warning, then it shouldn't cause too much of an issue. The other thing we're finding, as I've mentioned before, is things like Altrix give us clear line of sight as to the audit trail of what we are actually doing with our information. So for example, if you have um, a set of data that you need to convert from say USD to GDP using HMRC um, FX rates, then you can actually do that in Altrix and you can see each little step that is happening in that process. And what it also lets you do is it lets you review that information at the end, beginning and end of each step as well. So you can review after each step and you can see exactly what's gone on. You can pick up any potential um, errors there. Um, definitely helps with a clearer audit, audit trail. Same with the VAT return um, indirect compliance software as well. When you go in, you can actually trace back from your nine boxes to your transactional data, see exactly how those transactions have been mapped into that box in the VAT return. So again, much more line of sight, which is exactly what HMRC are after with their, their digital strategy as to where things are going. Yeah, it certainly sounds like things have um, been helped a lot by the new technology that you've adopted at Royal Mail, yeah. Um, and what are your thoughts on changing ERP systems? There's been a lot of talk about that recently in the tax community. What do you use and do you think, are you thinking of changing at all? So we're still using quite an old version of SAP. Um, we were looking at moving to SAP for HANA. Um, that's been put on hold for the moment. In terms of thoughts on changing ERP systems, um, you should do it if it's a requirement and if it gives you opportunities to address an inherent issues. So if your SAP system is, say, 20 years old, you're probably still capturing data in a way that was suitable maybe five, ten years ago for the business, but it's not necessarily suitable for you now. And you can use these not just as an automation opportunity, but also as an opportunity to reevaluate what information is actually key and important for the business because your business has changed over that time. So the management information you need for running the business, the information you need for tax purposes, and that can be reevaluated to make sure you're spending 
your time capturing the right information at the right level of quality that you need, as well as providing the automation perspective of being able to you know, directly link other bits of software into SAP HANA and extract the information from there as well, as well as improve like your data controls and, and governance. Right, yeah. And what have you done to ensure the quality of data that you receive is high enough to be used by the tax function specifically? So we work with um, teams to ensure appropriate controls and governance are in place. Um, so, for example, I know our VAT team did a lot of work with AP and AR in terms of, um, especially in terms of the invoices, making sure that they went in and they were tax coded correctly. Um, reviewing and compare. So, for example, in our capital allowances process, we need to use two data sources because you can get the revenue and capital, capital and revenue movement. So when we're doing that, we're also matching up our capital spend with what the fixed assets team have said we've spent on land and buildings. And if there's anything that's not matching up, we have that discussion with them to understand why that might be. It might be legitimate that something's appearing in one data set and not the other, but we have that conversation. We'll also um, supplement information uh, from external sources. So again, for example, um, some of our, our land and building spend doesn't contain enough detailed description for identifying some capital allowances. So we go to like our quantity surveyors and building firms who have that and um, ask them to provide it. So we know that the data is enough quality and enough description to be able to analyse it for tax purposes. Right, yeah. And um, so we've talked now about how companies such as Royal Mail are adopting um, new digital systems and the, the challenges and the opportunities there. What about revenue authorities? So um, we know that tax authorities around the world have been adopting um, sort of digital practices, but has COVID-19 impacted this pace? Has it sped things up? I've, from what I've um, been seeing, I think COVID-19 has definitely um, made the digital agenda for HMRC much more prominent. I think it had come under scrutiny for how it dealt with some of the COVID-19 measures that were getting put in place. And when you read their, their current strategy, it's clear that they do want to press on because we are slightly behind some of the other countries. So for them, some of them already have real-time reporting, for example. Um, so I'm fairly certain, for example, MTD for um, corporation taxes coming out for consultation very soon. Um, that's probably going to happen at reasonable pace. And I imagine they won't want that getting delayed um, as there were some delays with MTD for that. Yeah. So um, we're talking there about um, MTD, which is making tax digital. Um, and that is a project that HMRC, the UK Revenue Authority, are running at the moment. But obviously, this is mirrored in countries across the world. Yeah. Yeah. And they do want to get to a real time reporting position mm. based on their current strategy document. Yes, absolutely. And how do you think that all of these new developments from revenue authorities, from companies in tax technology are impacting opportunities for tax professionals? For example, how are you building opportunities for your team at Royal Mail? So I think there's probably a bit of a myth that um, the technology is going to replace um, the need for tax people. I don't think that's the case at all. I think technology needs to be viewed as an opportunity for your tax professionals to focus on value add. You know, 
tax professionals are highly qualified people either through exams or through experience of working in tax and they're there to apply that legislation and how it benefits the business and make sure the business is being compliant you know not there to be manipulating vast amounts of data and pairing it off and having to filter it out and and all of that so I think technology definitely provides a platform to rip out that non-value-add activity and allowing your tax function to do more possibly proactive activities, um, get more involved with lobbying. So if they only kind of pick up real um, important consultations that have massive impact to the business rather than smaller ones, it can free them up to help do that and help inform legislation and work with um, HMRC on on those sorts of things. It also gives the team an opportunity to expand upon non-tax skills and knowledge, as I'm sure well, whereas the more you progress, um, especially as you progress, say, in hierarchy, these skills become much more important. Um, and I'm not saying that they develop the skills to do wholesale technology implementations in their departments, but building the skills to be able to adapt quickly to new software coming in, although it might seem scary. We all need to remember we didn't come into our jobs knowing how to work Excel or build Excel modeling and templates and learning this new technology is just that next development of the learning you're already doing on a day-to-day -day basis, and um, whether it be Excel or new legislation. So I think it's very much the lens that you look at it through. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like there are um, there are more opportunities than disadvantages when it comes to tax technology. Like you say, um, tax professionals can be freed up to focus on more interesting projects um, and, you know, working with HMRC and the other revenue authorities. And so finally, um, my last question on tax technology, if you were talking to one of your peers about tax technology, what advice would you give them? Yes, by the point, don't be afraid of the technology. Um, I know there could be a lot of fear of having to learn something new. Mm. Um, don't be put off by lack of knowledge. Like I myself, I don't know every bit of software that's out there, but you know, this is where forums come into play, your network comes into play, and talking to people about what they're using and what they're doing. Um, being objective as well, because sometimes you can get a bit blinded by this amazing bit of software that looks like it would solve everything. But at the same time, the cost might actually rule it out of being accessible. So it's always also having that balance between what you need to fix and how you do it. And is it can it be easily amended in the future versus the cost? Always a fine balance. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but practical as well as obviously that's important too. Absolutely. So um, finally, moving on to our, our second topic, um, which is stress and mental health. Um, there's obviously a lot of pressure on tax teams at the moment. There's a lot to think about. Uh, companies are pressuring them to maximise cash flow. There's rapidly changing legislation across the world to keep up with. And there's also the worry that tax authorities will become more aggressive as they try to recover the costs of the pandemic. So in your opinion, how can companies and colleagues support each other during this time? For me, it's definitely utilising um, your networks, um, the tax forums, especially to discuss um, HMRC proposals. Um, I've seen before where um, 
we've, for example, at Royal Mail, we submitted a response to a consultation on our own, but we were also involved in discussions with networks and forums that then also put forward a a response to the consultation by working collaboratively with a wide number of businesses um, to feed that in. I think it's also internally, in terms of the company, it's having open discussion about where the business is, what, you know, what this means in terms of um, costs from the pandemic, what the impact of from HMRC um, decisions might be, working with the other teams as well. Um, so obviously within tax, you need strong links into finance as well. Um, if, for example, it's to do with cash flow and keeping the business going that way, if you know that there's another team like in finance who's look, working on a technology problem, and you're both actually looking at the same software, well, is there actually an opportunity there to just amalgamate the two projects and get a cost efficiency for the business? Which other than having two sides thinking, how do I get this business case through at a time we're trying to protect cash flow? You've then consolidated, you're saving the business money by having one project and you may then stand a better chance of getting it, getting it through and getting the efficiencies you need and saving cash flow. Yes, yeah. Collaboration and communication, it seems like, are important things within businesses at this time. Definitely. And so obviously, in addition to this, employees are working from home. There's a lack of contact with colleagues. And as we all know, talking via Zoom or Teams is not quite the same as meeting face to face. So what impact do you think this is having on employee mental health and what can people do about it? It's definitely impacting people in different ways um, I think it very much comes down to the individuals um, so I know for example some of us are quite happy working from home and just meeting up on Zoom and Skype I know there's others who really love that social interaction in the office and being able to sit and talk with people face to face and they're possibly finding it harder harder than others one of the key things is we always have work meetings it's although it's not on teams it's just actually not even being on the computer but an actual phone call so not using Skype not using Teams actually on your mobile having a non-work conversation just that if you know someone's struggling phone them how's your day today you know no work chat just general um, you know finding someone in your team that you can can trust and confide in so that if you are struggling that day with the fact that you're not in an office you're not having that social interaction is being able to just say to someone, I'm really struggling today. I'm finding today quite hard. Um, no judgment, just being able to talk about it helps quite a lot. Um, do you live close by to some of your colleagues? You know, if you're in an area where, you know, say, for example, London and it's not on complete lockdown, for example, are you able to maybe meet up with someone in a park and keep the social distance and go for a walk with one of your colleagues or or grab a coffee? It doesn't necessarily have to be work related, you know, where there is a team and sometimes that team support is beyond your day to day work tasks. Yeah, absolutely. It's part of your wider support network, isn't it? Your colleagues and your team at work. So it is important to maintain that contact. Absolutely. Um, Well, so that's everything for today. Thank you very much, Gemma, for joining me. And thank you for listening to ITR Voices. You can listen to this podcast again or other episodes anytime by going to the ITR website and finding the podcast tab.